Good morning. Hey guys, let me just encourage you that last announcement about a parenting seminar. Uh, you know, I, I realize sometimes getting stuff on our calendar is, is more of a challenge than ever. So we've all got calendars that have got too much stuff on them, and then something comes along extra, like a parenting seminar, and we're like, we don't know where to put that. Uh, can we just greatly, and this will be related to where we're going with the message this morning as well. What if there's a God who has a means of interacting with our life, and he finds ways into our lives through these things that he has created? And, and I know this sounds like, well, yeah, that's exactly what he's done. Well, he's created this thing called the local church. This is not a random set of meetings. This is not an unguided balloon flying through the air with, with no guidance system in it that week in and week out, who knows what the heck's going to happen around here. There's a God who cares about the hairs on our heads and the soul life that you and I are living so that he creates influence in that setting. He raises up leaders. He interacts with those leaders and gives them a burden to do things and say certain things to us at certain times. So even what you're going to hear this morning is not an accident. There's a God who's designing our meeting this morning. There's a God who's designed for this church right now to have a parenting seminar coming next week. Now, this is different than the Winn-Dixie ad that you get or the sale at Walmart this week that, you know, none of us feel obligated, right? I mean, do you feel obligated like, oh my gosh, there's a sale at Winn-Dixie. We've got to go today, honey. This is not the same thing. Don't treat it that way. This is a sovereign God who knows your life and who has sovereignly placed you in a place where stuff's going to go on that your antenna needs to go up and say, is God doing that for me? Is this something God wants to speak to me about? So if you're a parent and you're still parenting children, got kids at home, etc., then, then please don't treat this like a Winn-Dixie ad, right? This is a moment where the sovereign God is interacting with all of us who are parents to provide something that's going to be very helpful and very needful in, in our lives. All right, so that's related to what we're doing here in this little series that we've been walking through on prayer that has been titled out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, A Throne of Grace. How many guys have, have figured this out? <clears throat> and, I, and this sounds like an obvious statement. It is not an obvious statement in today's culture. You and I don't get to invent God or his ways. We only get to discover them and learn them. Now, don't act like, well, wow, Keith, you are saying some really deep stuff this morning. I'm so glad I woke up and came. You, you are living in a culture that, <clears throat> excuse me, does not believe that. It believes the centrality of defining who God is sits in the individual. And you get to create God as you understand him to be. And therefore, you get to create his ways as you understand them to be as well. However, when you and I come to the scriptures, we find out God already existed before you and I came along. And he already has ways that you and I don't get to invent, we only get to discover. So there's this thing called prayer. It's, it's the most fundamental 
familiar thing that exists in the religious realm. Probably more people in the universe would say that they pray even more than read the Bible. Now, your praying can't be very well on target if you're not reading the Bible. But there is this fundamental thing in our life. It's just called prayer. It's just easy to overlook it. It's easy to just assume we, we know something about it. All right, can you, can you go with me into your past and realize at some point you didn't know God from the man on the moon and you didn't know how to pray either, but you did pray even though you didn't know how to pray. And you accumulated ideas and you gathered them together and you created something called a prayer life and you began to do that and you practiced it and practiced it and practiced it and practiced it to where it became the defining thing of how you approach prayer. But you and I might be really off base in that. Maybe God wants to adjust our prayer lives to enrich them because I I find that when I invent things like prayer, I I, I tend to pull stuff out of them that are really, really important and install bad replacements. And and the way in which you notice that the most is if you're uninterested in your own prayer life. If you've lost interest in your own prayer life, it's probably because like me, you've, you've invented it after your own ideas and they just, they just don't reward. There's just not a, not a pop to your prayer life that makes you want to get in the prayer closet and pray. And, and I believe that was what's behind the Lord detouring us for a moment. When we were studying through 1 Corinthians, next week we're going back to 1 Corinthians. So we're going to re-rent our Airbnb and move back in amongst the 1 Corinthians and learn some things from their lives. But I believe God wanted to deter us for a few weeks to address something that is critically important to how you and I are experiencing God, our prayer lives. And this is a subject you can't leave alone, but we're just going to invigorate it a little bit. Let me start with a a quote from Tim Keller. I'm going to mention a couple of thoughts from his book on prayer today. Tim says this, there's nothing more important than prayer. You can't know God without prayer. You can know a lot about him, of course, but you can't know God personally without a prayer life. So just stop, because this is a rich quote here. If you are existing as a human being without a prayer life, you probably think you know God. Can I I just tell you, you, you haven't entered past the front door. But there's stuff at the front door, right? So you know the stuff at the front door. But if you're surveying your life, you know, I really don't have much of a prayer life, then then let the adventure begin. Let the thought be that, boy, if if I was engaging God through this vehicle of prayer that he has created, the way in which he's created it, what might my relationship with him be like? Let your curiosity wonder in that category. Now listen, this sobering thought, you can't truly know yourself without prayer. It is only in the light of God's presence that you can finally see your heart as it is. Again, you may think you know something about yourself. You may be very familiar with yourself when you wake up and go about your day. But to really, really know the ins and outs of of, of what makes 
me the way I am? What motivates me? What am I really up to? What did I really want when I said that or when I've behaved this way? Why am I so troubled? Why do I struggle in this category in a way that I don't see anybody else struggling or maybe very few? You can't know yourself without getting near to God and letting his light shine on who you are. So if, if you don't have a prayer life, then it's, it's, an, it's a certainty. You don't really know yourself all that well, even though you might think you do. You can't really love other people as well without prayer. If you started praying regularly for someone and then you meet with him or her, you will see how much more engaged your heart is. Love may lead you to pray, but then prayer profoundly deepens and enhances love. You and I can't have very good relationships. We can't do ministry with one another. We can't walk through the difficulties of life without a prayer life for the people around us. One more thought he says. Finally, you can't really get through the troubles, disappointments, and tragedies of life without prayer. This is the message of one of the most famous passages in the Bible, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. We will only walk through the dark valleys without fear if we know his presence in prayer. Suffering usually makes you more anxious, more hardened and cynical. But through prayer, it can make you wiser, deeper, kinder, and even more joyful. All right, so listen, if you and I strip, I mean, we've got Bibles, we come to church, we hang around other Christians, we avoid really taboo behaviors, we, we don't morally corrupt the way we live, but, but we're doing all this stuff minus a prayer life. Do you understand the handicap we have created for this ever being real to us at a level that it needs to be real? So so what I I hope we're going to take away from just this little pause with the Lord over the last few weeks to interrupt our pattern of living is to reinstall some software in our system and, and to go about our lives in a way that God intended for us to live near to him through the vehicle of prayer. And so we've been looking closely at Hebrews chapter 4. So if you want to turn there again with me, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, this 26 words that are in this passage that are ripe and extremely helpful and meaningful. Let me say this carefully because, you know, in the subject of prayer, there's a lot to be covered. There's a lot to be covered. And, And we have not covered all that there is. So this is not intended to be the catch-all, end-all on prayer. This this is intended to further what God has already shown you in many categories of prayer. So, you know, we've not spent time in in what adoration prayer looks like, in in worship and extending ourselves in worship to God, or petitions and, and what specifically, how do we ask and what do we ask for and how do we ask according to the will of God. We have not spent much time in the invitation from God to come to him as our father and this endearing affectionate connection that we have as God's children and and instead we've turned our attention to a throne that that's intimidating and awesome and powerful and mysterious right 
All of these things are what the Bible reveals about prayer. We're just sitting in one verse, taking an in-depth look at one verse. So this is not intended for you to say, oh, well, okay, so it's a throne and not a father. Okay, I got it. Check. Ditch the father thing. No, no, do not. Do not do that. Just add this to your understanding of what all the Bible teaches about prayer. So here's our 26 words that are just rich words here in Hebrews 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, Father, we're going to again look at this verse and even though we've spent a few weeks looking at it, I still feel like there's so much more there to see. And so, Lord, would you help us to see this morning? Would you help us to taste and see these things in a, a transforming way? Would you help us to take this from this meeting and let it transform our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we've got, I put this into a diagram because, like me, you've been taught to think visually these days. That's, that's just how life is. So <clears throat> here's a little visual aid. And, and all right, there's, there's several things we want to walk away with a healthy vocabulary. Need is coming. We talked about need. Make friends with need. Need is part of your life. You don't get to make it go away. It, it, is, it is a springboard unto God. God designed life to feel like it's too big for us. So if you feel like your life is in need and you hate the way that feels and you want to get rid of it, you can't. And you're not supposed to. It's doing you a favor. It's reminding you you're a creature every time you bump into it, and it's launching you toward your creator. And then there's this destination that when we move, we're going to move to a throne of grace. So there's this place, this power, this centrality where God is reigning and governing. That's where we're going. We go there confidently because there's grace that's created the way for us to have access. And last week we looked that we want to acquire something in particular. We looked at mercy and grace is going to be available to us in all kinds of forms, in all kinds of ways in each moment. But mercy and grace is ultimately the umbrellas that stuff is going to come to us in these forms. But here's where I want us to catch today. The last thing we're going to look at is these, these three red little highlights. One, two, three. Knee we've looked at. Movement and acquiring and encountering something. Right, what we want to do is recognize when need comes, prayer is a response. Right? And so what's a good quiz is to see when need is showing up in your life, how are you responding? I mean, I'd love to sit up here and tell you, I learned long ago that the response to needs coming in my life is prayer. So when, when I sense need, I slip away into my prayer closet. I, I tend to first almost always slip away into my worry closet, my anxious closet, my place where I rehearse fears and I pull volumes of books off of the shelves of how to really, really, really worry about this particular need in your life. I've got, I've got massive Encyclopedia Britannica volumes on stuff that I can just slip away into that study in a moment. Need shows up. I feel it. I'm inadequate. I can't spell out the future because I don't have the resources to get me wherever I get beyond this thing. Like, excuse me, just one second. Let me just go into the worry closet. I mean, that's where I go. So it raises the issue of when I, I experience need, I am to move. 
There is to be real movement in my life. And that movement takes me somewhere where I'm going to really encounter and acquire something in my life. So something is going to come on the scene in a greater way. And that's that whole phrase here of drawing near that we're going to unpack here today. But let me just stir us up a little bit because I know I'm giving prayer life an upgrade. At some level, I'm very aware that you may be saying, man, this just, this sounds so beyond me. And I just thought prayer was just kind of like, I don't know, just talking to God. You've made it sound so much more complicated than just talking to God. Listen, if prayer is talking to God, I mean, that's very fundamental. It's communication with God, and, and, and it's got a lot of nuance to it that the Bible brings out. So I do want to give us an upgrade. I, I do want us to feel like, I do want us, listen carefully, I do want us to feel like maybe we should ask for a refund on our prayer life. If you're not feeling that way, I'm not doing a good enough job here of, of displaying what prayer might, could be like for us. Because I, I, you know, I, I've been seeking God in prayer for a long time as a believer, and, and I want an upgrade. I want more than what I've got in that category of my life. And so I want you to want that as well. Tim Keller in his book, Prayer, and I I think of all the books I would recommend on prayer, uh, Tim's might be at the top of my list. He says, prayer is a conversation, listen, that leads to encounter with God. Prayer is a conversation. Yeah, prayer is talking to God. Yeah, that's what prayer is talking to God. Okay, prayer is a conversation that leads to an encounter with God. So in that sense, it's more than talking to God, isn't it? So Talking will get you started, but that talking is to take you somewhere. It's to take you to an encounter with God. This working and quickening in our hearts does not take place in all persons, nor at all times in the same measure. Okay, permission right there. There's permission. Permission for your prayer closet not to look the same way every day or not to look like somebody else's. That's a reality. So, so don't create, hey, man, we went through that prayer message thing, and I just installed this. This is the only way prayer is ever going to look. It's going to feel just like this all the time, every day. So I guess I haven't been praying. It's going to have some variety to it. Amazing encounters, so-so encounters, long encounters, brief encounters, powerful, blow-your-mind encounters, everyday comfort, care encounters. It's going to have some variety to it. Keller says, nevertheless, That, this encounter, is our goal. We must not settle for an informed mind without an engaged heart. If you've been saved for very long, you know what I'm talking about. You can climb into your prayer closet with an informed mind and climb out of that prayer closet with an unengaged heart. It can happen, and it happens way too often. Now, let me me give us a little New Testament theology installation here. Ephesians chapter 3 Turn there real quickly with me. Paul is going to raise the expectations on prayer by the way in which he's praying for these Ephesians. And and, and, uh, I want us to see this theologically in, in the presence of, in the territory of the new 
covenant because everybody who's read their Bible should notice that there's, that there's a relating to God in a particular way that took place in the old covenant, and then there's a relating to God in a particular way in the new covenant. And the, and the old covenant dudes didn't have everything that, that us in the new covenant has. So we, we don't exactly relate to this great God on the throne in exactly the same way. So one can pick up great New Testament words and create an awareness that something has been indicatively given to us that was not theirs to possess. We possess something they didn't have. That doesn't at all minimize what I'm arguing for today. Because what you possess can still be too far away from your reality and your experience of God. Even though, on paper, you possess a whole lot more than they did. But God's not just looking for paper. This is why Paul prays the way he does for the Ephesian church in the New Covenant. Chapter 3, verse 14. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And this is the way Paul prays in his prayer closet for these believers. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, he may impart something to you, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. This, this is being written to believers who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You can't be a Christian without the indwelling presence of God. So God is not speaking to these Old Testament dudes who didn't have the indwelling presence. He is speaking to New Testament Christians here, and Paul is praying for them that though this be true of you, I'm praying for you that God would grant this strengthening within you. So th- there is an encounter here with strength. On the inside, that's going to invigorate their lives. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's already dwelling in their hearts, so isn't he? Hello? Preach with me now. So what, Paul, what are you up to here? That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Right? Quite simply, this is the Apostle Paul standing in front of other believers and saying, Hey, there's more. Right? There's more for you to know, to experience and to have go off inside of you, to show up in a more impacting way. And he's going to use a word here. It's interesting, the ESV translates in verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. That, I, you know, I, I don't know that that's a really good translation for this word, because it just simply sounds like increase in understanding. And that's kind of not what the word actually is. And it gets translated differently. If you have a different translation besides ESV, you kind of get this word captured in a different way. Some of your translations will say that you may grasp. 
Well, the word there is an interesting word. It's katalambano in the Greek. And it means this, and it's translated here. It's only translated comprehend twice. It's translated elsewhere to, to apprehend, to take eagerly. That's what that kata hung on the front of that word. Lambano means to take something. So this means to take it eagerly, to seize or grasp, to lay hold of so as to make one's own. That's what that word means. So it's not just like, oh, you know, I just, I just read a little bit and kind of increased my understanding. That's not, that's not this word. This word is to eagerly take that, eagerly take hold of it, take possession of this thing. And that's what Paul's praying. Now, what's interesting is, remember our, our Hebrews 4, very familiar passage. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we might, lambano grace, receive, I'm sorry, mercy. Lambano mercy, that we might, lambano, take hold of mercy. So there's this implication that when you and I draw near to this throne, we're going to be seizing something for ourselves. We're going to be taking ownership of something, something that's existed, something that's in our lives, but, but you and I are going to possess it in a different way into our lives. Tim Keller goes on and referring to Ephesians 3, he says, Paul prays for his readers that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that they would know this love of Christ and that they would be filled with all the fullness of God. What Paul is talking about is the difference between having something be true of you in principle and fully appropriating it, using it, and living in it in your inner being or in your heart. It is possible for Christians to live their lives with a high degree of phoniness, hollowness, and inauthenticity. Stop and ponder whether any of those words find their way into the billboards of your experience. You profess to know Christ, but there is a significant level of phoniness, I'm trying to figure out how badly I want to meddle right now. But for instance, I, I, you know, I don't know what to do with this. And if this is meddling, just, just bear with me. You know, you, you, you sit in a prayer meeting, you're in church, you're in a setting that, that where it's appropriate for you to manifest a certain style or sound or attitude. And so, and so you do, right? You're... You've got the right words coming out. You have the right perspective coming out. And then when you shift settings and you're not, you're not in a church setting, you're, you're not, you know, allowed to sing with a choir or something, you're just on social media. And stuff starts to come out. And, and it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, you know? It's like you're, you're one person in this setting, but man, bring up the right issue. Man, let me comment on that. I mean, just teeth and vulgar and obnoxious. Ah, and that's who we are right there. Can I, I, I can't help but think that's phony. Because you're just not the same person all the time. 
So if you've got this thing in you that you manifest yourself one way over here, you manifest yourself another way over here, that's phony. Just lower your guard. Have something from God that's real and genuine in you and just let it out wherever you are. Right? So you, you don't, you're not a person who feels like they've got to put on some air when they're around Christians and they speak Christianese and all of a sudden their thou's and thouest comes out. It's like, that's phony too. That's not how you speak ever. But, but you're going to pray the mother of all prayers in this meeting with others. It's like, well, you're trying to impress them. I mean, deal with it. That's phony. But, but the person who is rabid and obnoxious in social media settings is phony as well. Because that's not who you are over here. And so there can be this degree of phoniness or hollowness. Maybe you're here and, and your walk with God, it just feels hollow. I mean, you know it's right, and you know it's the right thing to do, and you can't figure out anything else to do in your Christian life, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't even want to, but, but your experience with God feels hollow. You just, you just don't have another place to go with your life. Well, these are weighty words. Keller says the reason is because they have failed to move that truth into their hearts and therefore it has not actually changed who they are and how they live. Can you imagine? I don't, you can't imagine. We're going through the motions of all kinds of stuff. We're reading all kinds of cool things. We go to church. We hear a message. We get a little connected. We get a little stimulated toward God. Something happens here. But, but you know what's missing is, is when you and I leave this setting, we don't have a prayer life that transfers these realities into our soul in a real way, in an impacting way, so that there's an encounter with God that continues to be manifest over and over again in our lives. Guys, you can't survive on this meeting. If, if your Bible reading is turned into, well, you know, there's going to be 15 passages in the message today. I don't need to read my Bible all week long. If your interaction with God has been, hey, I will let a preacher engage God and then tell me what he saw and come back and tell me about it, and that'll be my engagement of God. No, 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 no. You, you cannot have a relationship with God that way. Can you imagine Somebody that, that you want to be close to, intimate with, meaningfully connected to, that you always send somebody else into the room to talk to them and ask them, well, what did they say? Well, can you tell them this? What did they say? Can you tell them this? That's, that's a preaching relationship with God. This guy gets to have the, a relationship with God. But for me to run in and hang out with God and come back every week and tell you something about that visit with God and that encounter, that, that doesn't create your visit with God. Your prayer life creates your visit with God where he speaks to you in ways that, that go with you. Let me raise the bar a little bit higher. He wants to aim higher. Tim Keller tells the story of two guys in history who had quite an encounter with God. And again, these, these are not always everyday events. He says, Blaise Pascal was a Christian believer and philosopher and one of the great minds of history. When he died... 
it was discovered that he had sewn into the lining of his coat the description of an experience he had one night. Stop. Just think, what kind of an experience was this? The dude sewed it into his coat. He walked around with an intentional mindfulness and accessibility to this thing. It was in his coat. It read this way. In the year 1654, Monday, 23rd November, from about half past 10 in the evening until half an hour after midnight, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, and not of the philosophers and of the learned, certainty, certainty, feeling, joy, peace. I mean, this guy can't figure out how to explain what happened to him. Suddenly, there was just something that happened. He was in his prayer closet, and suddenly, like fire just fell. What was he experiencing? He was experiencing the presence of God in a way that left a mark on him so much so that he sewed it into his jacket to be reminded of that encounter with the nearness of God. Keller goes on and says, another less famous example is Dwight L. Moody, a prominent Chicago minister and evangelist in the late 19th century. He wrote, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can, I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. Do, do, you, do you have anything like that in your library of encountering God? We, we need that. Listen, I, I think these are well said in Keller's thoughts on, on these are not always the most common experiences of our lives. This is not a message that says that's what your prayer life would look like on Tuesday night, on Wednesday night, on Thursday morning. I, I, I don't believe that. But there are encounters that we have with the presence of God that become landmarks to us that as we travel through life, we know that exists. We know it's something to pursue. We know something of the reality of God has been near to us in a way that's not garden variety, life every day, God on a book and nowhere else. Do you, do you know something of that? I so resonate with Dwight Moody saying what he said, the way he says it. I wish I discovered these words years ago. I'm hesitating to share because I'll have to recover from it. Because I, like him, I don't talk about this experience very often. I don't know what year it was, mid-late 90s, late 90s probably. We were on a missions trip to Mexico. We were praying for a set of villages that we were uh, reaching out with the gospel into, and we had a, a... place in the hotel where we were staying on the top floor that we would gather 
for extended time, extended times, extended times of prayer. And I, I remember, and I have, I have, my brain doesn't remember a lot of things anymore, but I remember standing in this room to the edge. There was a window on this side of the room, and I remember praying for God. I just, I just asked him, Lord, just reveal your heart to me for these people. And in that prayer time, this strange impression came to me of, a, of an the image of an older woman and a flood of light and an experience of emotion that I almost could not recover from. I wept and wept and wept uncontrollably. Almost to the point where I just asked God, stop, stop showing me this. It was this sense of what the love of God is like for this Mexican woman in this village, this this impression that came. And it, it is a, it's a it's got strange content. It had a, it had an image to it. It had it had light in it, and it had this overwhelming emotion attached to it. And I I I don't talk about it much. Um, But it is a reference point in, in several other experiences. Like that there are reference points for me to know that there is something beyond just sitting down in a prayer closet and praying the Our Father or whatever it is I've turned prayer into. There, there's, there's more to lay hold of in this arena. And, and so I think we all have got to have this sense to press beyond what has become our substandard, perhaps, experience in this category. Tim Keller says, these are well-known cases of of unusually intense spiritual encounters. It does not have to be an experience we write down and think about the rest of our lives. What is common to all these moments is that you sense the power of what you have been given in Christ so that your attitudes, your feelings, and behavior are altered. There's, there's something about encountering God in this way that changes us, that, that adjusts us. But see, when, when life comes to us, movement is needed. All right, so I just want to highlight real quickly two things here. I want, I want to talk about real movement and real acquiring from God. And we're just going to look at a couple of examples, and so we'll move through this pretty quick. But there, there's real movement, right? Need comes. Your life makes you aware that you're going to need to get something besides you going in this situation. Let us then draw near to God. Let us draw near to God. These are familiar phrases throughout Scripture but they introduce a strange concept to us. They introduce to us the idea of nearness and farness with God. And some of us don't kind of know what to do with that. We don't know what to do with that theologically. We don't know what to do with it spatially. The idea that God is not right here, but he's over there. 
is a strange concept, isn't it? So what do we do with nearness and farness? This thought of drawing near, this encouragement to move. Hey, get up and move. Draw near is going to be mentioned seven times in the letter to the Hebrews. Seven times. Now, they were, they were going through trouble. They, the need was excessive. There was a great deal of difficulty. Many of them were tempted to give up their hope. So when need gets the weightiest in our lives, you start hearing the Bible say more and more, draw near, draw near, draw near. Right? Not to the throne of worry, but to the throne of grace. Right? Quick little sampling throughout Scripture. Psalm 73 Verse 27 says, for behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the the nearness of God is my good. Psalm 145 verse 18 says, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. Isaiah 55, verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That verse right there, I mean, really think about your practice and your theology. I mean, you got God on retainer, right? I mean, he's, he's always equally accessible to you, isn't he? Now, I know that makes sense until you read that verse that there is a finding of God and an encountering of God and a nearness of God. And Isaiah encourages that we would do this while we can, while there is opportunity for it. So every moment doesn't seem to be the exactly same opportunity for it. James 4, verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So there is a nearness and a farness dimension to how we relate to God, how we experience God in our lives. A.W. Tozer, this excellent book, The Pursuit of God, he helps us understand a little phrase I wrote in your outline. God is not everywhere the same all the time. God is not everywhere the same all the time. Tozer says, if God is present at every point in space, if, if we cannot go where he is not, cannot even conceive of a place where he is not, why then has not that presence become the one universally celebrated fact of the world? Think about that for a second. Think of the greatest encounters with God that you can think of in Scripture. Think of the mightiness and the revelation of God. God is equally everywhere. Then everybody everywhere ought to be talking about that, right? But they're not. The patriarch Jacob in the waste howling wilderness gave the answer to that question. He saw a vision of God and cried out in wonder, Surely the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. Remember Jacob's experience with God? That there was something of God there that was different than what he had encountered before. The presence and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. There can be the one without the other. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it. 
He is manifest only when and as we are aware of his presence, right? right? That manifesting of God's presence has to do with our encountering of him, although he is always present. The approach of God to the soul or the, of the soul to God is not to be thought of in spatial terms at all. There's no idea of physical in distance involved in the concept. It is not a matter of miles, but of experience. Right? Remember, we are to draw near to the throne of grace that we may take hold of, grasp, get before us, get in us this mercy encounter God in this way. That's why we're drawing near, because we need this encounter, this acquisition. And let me give you two types of movement. I want to talk about real movement for a second, and then real acquisition. All right, real movement, two things. Real physical movement, even though God is not found physically. So it's not like you're actually, okay, when I'm here, I feel, okay, this spot is closer. No, no. But in the Bible, people actually, in order to experience God, they moved physically. They actually recreated their setting in a way that allowed for this encounter with God in a greater way, right? Several examples there. Exodus 3, Moses doing his thing at the foot of the mountain. He could keep doing his thing or he could do what this verse says. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned, right? There, there, is a, there is an encountering with God that's awaiting him that's going to shape and, and f- fashion the future of his life. Now, I, I guess he could have just said, well, you know, I understand that God is present everywhere. I've read that somewhere in my Bible. So I'll just stay down here and tend my sheep. And if God wants to show himself to me, he can show himself to me right here just as easily as he can show himself to me way up on the side of that mountain. Okay, our, I'm sure Moses is glad he didn't think that way in that moment. There was a turning aside, and the Bible uses that term, uses it for Daniel as well. Daniel says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Right? So he, he stripped away the distractions of his life, and he got alone with God, and he turned his attention in an occupying way to God. He goes on in chapter 10, Daniel says, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I use my cell phone. Well, okay, but he didn't say that, but uh, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. Three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the river, suddenly an encounter comes. I'm not trying to make a case for three weeks, but I am trying to make a case against three minutes. I'm not saying three minutes is wrong. I'm just saying it's not enough. I'm just saying it won't take you into what this message is about today. to get past ourselves into an awareness, an encounter, an acquiring of something from God is more than likely not going to happen in three minutes. Jesus had a pattern of physically moving 
changing the setting in order to encounter times with his father. Mark 1 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. There was something about a different venue, a different setting that even the Son of God, who had the best pipeline going that any human being ever had with God, found it necessary to get away from things and get alone. Matthew 14, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountains by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. Luke 5, 16, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So there is, a, there is a need. There is a need. You and I want to incorporate our prayer life, and, and there are elements to our prayer life can be in any setting. Pray at all times. Remember, I'm not trying to kill every other Bible verse with this message. The Bible does say, pray at all times. Pray without ceasing. So, so yes, you're standing in line at Walmart. Pray, yes. But this is a different dimension of praying. This is a different aspect of praying. And and to encounter this dimension of praying, you will often, as Jesus did, need to relocate. Need to take all the noise and distraction of my life and leave it over there and come over here and create a different setting so that I can encounter God differently in my life. This next little thought from Mr. Halsby in his book about 100 years old now, he uses a word that I don't ever hear anybody use this word, the word quietude. Anybody use that word on you lately? Quietude. But he says something about letting quietude wield its influence. It's priceless. He says, "It it is necessary for us to withdraw at regular intervals and enable our souls to attain that quietude and inward composure which are essential if we would hear the voice of God. Men who pray are not aware of this. As soon as they enter into their secret chamber, they begin at once to speak with God. Do, Do not do that, my friend. Take plenty of time before you begin to speak. Let quietude wield its influence upon you. Let the fact that you are alone assert itself. Give your soul time to get released from the many outward things. Give God time to play the prelude to prayer for the benefit of your distracted soul. Let the devotional attitude, the attitude of holy passivity, open all the doors of the soul leading into the realm of eternal things. Hold on to that quote and use it next time you climb into your prayer closet. Because the the, the hectic pace and the way in which we're doing life, it is eroding. It is worse than coastal erosion in our lives when it comes to our prayer lives. Because if we find a moment in our prayer closet... We're hasty, right? I mean, we got a lot going on. I mean, I managed to turn my attention here, and I got so much happening, and I got to hurry up. And we're, maybe we're just trying to check this thing off because we got this thing going on at church, and we're supposed to pray. And okay, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to check the thing off. And we get in there, 
and our minds are just racing with stuff. And some of us are fool enough to take our phones with us into our prayer closets. <laughs> really? What was I thinking? Well, I wasn't thinking of being alone. I just brought the whole universe with me. I mean, we all already have like spiritual ADD. I just don't need, you know, it's like, what was that, a dog? A squirrel. I mean, it's like, I I just live in my prayer closet like everything gets my attention. What was that? Uh, I I need quietude. It's a good word. I need to, to, to create another setting. And when I engage that setting, just learn to get quiet. Learn to let the noise of decisions and activities and calendar and plans and struggles and all kinds, just let that noise begin to get quiet and let that quiet wield its influence on my soul as I'm in the presence of God and I'm quiet and finally life stops creating the venue and the agenda items that scream at me and finally... In the silence, God can begin to bring up things he wants to talk about. He can begin to communicate things to me. Like, I mean, let's face it, most of us run into our prayer closets out of an emergency and we say, okay, God, I've got very limited time and I need two things for you to talk to me about. And, and God's got a rich list of things over here that would have a priceless impact on our soul. But, but I'm, I tell, no, that's great, God, but I got need something right here. These two, I'm, you know, I'm worried about these things really, really bad. It's top of my list right here. And, you know, matter of fact, I, I think it's going off right now. Yeah. See, it's a text about that. And uh, uh, God, come on. Uh, and so we have, we, we have lost the practice of being quiet in the presence of God and, and letting God take our souls wherever he wants them to go with an agenda, his own, that we needed, that we walk away from that encounter, having encountered, having acquired something that has crept into our souls in a very different way. All right, so that's physical movement. There, there is heart movement. Sometimes our hearts are not in the right place. They need to move from where they are in order to, for us to encounter God, right? A few examples here. Moving, our hearts need to move from disaffection to affection, right? We, we could be here this morning, very disaffectionate toward God. No sense of spillover of the amazement, of the delight, of the sheer gratitude that's flooding our souls for our relationship with God. I'm just here. I'm just going through the motions. Isaiah spoke to an audience in Isaiah 29, and he says, and the vision of all this has become to you. Like the words of a book that is sealed. When, when men give it to one who can read, saying, read this, he says, I, I cannot, for it's sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read, saying, read this, he says, I, I cannot read. And the Lord said, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. They, they have not encountered me so that they have a fear that comes from their encounter with me. They just got told by other people, you ought to fear God. 
You ought to treat God a certain way. They don't have an awareness of doing that themselves because they've not been near to God for themselves. And God says your heart needs to move from where it is. Your heart, with all of its distraction and disaffection, needs to pull up its tense pegs and move near to me. So this, this, is, this is a good word of advice for <clears throat> why so much of what God does around us goes unexperienced. Because my heart's just not in the right place toward God. How about moving from a sense of stiffness and resistance into a place of submission and humility? And James describes that. New Testament believers. Chapter 4, verse 5, he says, Or do you suppose... It's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. You have God saying he has strong affections and jealous desires for the spirit that he has placed in us to commune with him. The God of the universe feels that strongly about being with us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And in some way, all the description that's around that one phrase is giving you an idea about how to draw near to God. How do you draw near to God? Well, you submit yourself to God, and you resist the devil. So the devil's come along, selling me some stuff, got my attention. I'm all you know, up and engaged in that. And God says, no, 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 resist that and, and just be open to me. Oh, that's drawing near to God. God, I'm open-handed. Here's my, here's my life. Do, do with it what you want for your glory and for your purpose. Right? That, that's submitting yourself to God. And he says, cleanse your hands you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you, right? There's a place for cleansing and purifying our intentions toward God. This is, this is drawing near to God. There's stuff going on in my life. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, hey, there's stuff going on right now. I'm not, I'm not supposed to be doing that. I know it's wrong. I keep doing it. God has been dealing, I'm trying to ignore it. Well, listen, you, I, I promise you, you are going to have a really, really hard time experiencing the nearness of God. And so you climb into your prayer closet and you, and you got this junk over here, this unsubmittedness, and, and, but yet you, you want your prayer closet to mean something. You walk away from these messages and you make a little room and you go climb over there and you do that and, and there's no sense of nearness. Well, here, the Bible says why. There needs to be hard movement toward God. If I want to experience, I'm going to draw near to God, but I'm going to deal with the things that God's making real in my life. And then this last movement I picked up from Hebrews, it's all throughout the book, moving from unbelief to faith, right? The need comes and it falls. This is one of my chief movements. The need falls on my life and unbelief comes flying out of the closet. Ooh, ooh, want to hang out? Let's do lunch. I'll buy you coffee. No, really, I will. And Unbelief makes itself available to me, and I need to move in that moment. I need to move from unbelief to faith. I'm called upon. Now, listen, 
The reason we get Hebrews 4, listen to the, the context here, is because of this reality. Hebrews 3, verse 12, right? Chapter right before, a few verses before. It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right? Then we fast forward into chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the, the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard, it did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened, right? So there was, you know, great chocolate being poured into the glass, but there was no faith that stirred it up and made it a sense of, yes, I, I, God, not only do I know you've said that, but I believe it for me and for my situation. There's a big difference. All of us know the difference in that. We can, we can live in these settings without stirring faith into these. So it's in that context that suddenly we get Hebrews 4. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. This is why we're being told to draw near because this battle of unbelief and faith is going to be waging. Remember later on in Hebrews, he's going to bring it up again in chapter 11, verse 6. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. All right, so here comes life. I'm going to respond. I'm going to have to move. Real movement. Physical movement to get me alone with God. Heart movement to put me in a place to encounter God the way he's calling me to. And then God wants to give me a real encounter and a real acquiring, right? Those words in Hebrews 4, verse 16, that we may receive mercy, take hold of, make our own possession, this mercy, and find grace. Listen, everybody here knows that in the universe that God's in charge of, there is mercy and there is grace. Everybody knows that. You walked in here this morning knowing that. I don't think there's a person here that I would be introducing that concept to. But that does not mean that I have laid hold of it for me in a way that I taste it and it impacts me and it begins to transform the way I do life in this season, in this setting. Remember Tim Keller said, prayer is a conversation that leads to encounter with God. This working and quickening in our hearts does not take place in all persons, nor at all times in the same measure. Nevertheless, that's our goal. We must not settle for an informed mind without an engaged heart. All right, I'm going to close with one thought here. Eric, you can come back up with the band. I'm not trying to create a time frame for how this needs to happen. But, you know, sometimes our, our, our engaging God in prayer, our creating of a prayer life, it, it, it's, it almost begins with time. Sometimes we, we talk about, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to take, I'm, I'm committed, I'm going to take 15 minutes in the morning, I'm going to pray. 15 minutes. And so we set the timer. And so the goal is to, to fulfill the time element. 
So that's what we're doing, right? We're, we're in there and we're making some availability and there's something to be said for this. There's some benefit in that. But the goal is at 15 minutes, I am released. And maybe you, you know, maybe you've got an hour that you've, you know, set the time frame, an hour. Like it not, I'm not, this is not an argument against that. Right? I, I think sometimes just we, we need to have time frames. But, but this is an argument for something that at some point... For this, what I just described today for us to become real, uh, your destination needs to be acquiring something. And I will not let you go until you bless me. An approach of wrestling with God that says, I'm in this until I sense mercy and grace beginning to fill the aroma of my life and the room. I sense the nearness of God. I I sense faith being quickened in my heart. I sense a greater glimpse of God in my understanding. I, I actually sense the nearness of God. Okay, that could take you quite a while. That could take you a bunch of visits swinging and missing before you have your first encounter with the presence of God that way. But you gotta have that. You gotta know that's in the realm of what God has in mind. Give you this last thought. This great phrase has always helped me. The Puritans had a practice of encouraging prayer by saying, Pray until you pray. So you know, just a great sense that, you know, just just praying isn't necessarily what we're after. And I, and I, again, I'm, I'm cool, you know, prayers, talking with God. Okay, that's good. Uh, talk with God until you encounter God. Pray until you pray. D.A. Carson says, this, this is Puritan advice. It does not simply mean that persistence should mark much of our praying, though admittedly that is a point in the scriptures repeatedly make. Even though He was praying in line with God's promises. Elijah prayed for rain seven times before the first cloud appeared in the heavens. That's not quite what the Puritans mean when they exhorted one another to pray until you pray. What they mean is that Christians should pray long enough and honestly enough at a single session to get past the feeling of formalism and unreality that attends not a little praying. We are especially prone to such feelings when we pray for only a few minutes, rushing to be done with a mere duty. To enter the spirit of prayer, we must stick to it for a while. If we pray until we pray, eventually we come to delight in God's presence, to rest in his love, to cherish his will. A lot of history for me of reading about prayer, studying prayer, adjusting my prayer life, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm assuming that this room is full of people who have been in various settings that I can remember being in myself. And I can remember this element not being a feature, not being frequent, uh, being rare. But can I invigorate all of us to create a category that looks like we pray until we pray. What Hebrews 4, verse 16 was after was not just a stepping my foot, I'm in the prayer closet, I'm on my way. I'm in the prayer closet. I'm in, I'm in the prayer closet to get something. 
to take hold of something, for something to become mine in the forms of mercy and grace, that's going to help me in my time of need. Just showing up for a prayer closet, punching the clock and moving on, that might be better than doing nothing because God can still use all kinds of things. But it's still not quite what this verse is after. Which I think this is what God is trying to get us to be aware of. I think God wants to change the prayer life of Lakeview Christian Center for purposes that he has for each of us individually, for us as families, for this church as a whole. So I, this, this won't be the last you're going to hear on this. As a matter of fact, I think we're going we're gonna to give you an opportunity to, to respond by letting us know. I'd like to, to create a bit of a workshop and call it a watchman workshop to teach people how to be intercessors, to teach people how to be part of the prayer intercessory team of the church, to learn how to pray for one another in settings that require and need prayer, but to intercede for what God is doing among us, to find your ministry perhaps in the secret place of prayer. So I'm not sure, Evan, where we're we're gonna pass those around. We're gonna just catch them at the door. door All right, back door. There will be folks standing with a clipboard. All you got to do is just put your name on the list. Uh, Because I I don't want you to escape anything God is stirring up in you. So I I don't want to come back to this a few weeks and ask you. I want you to right now be sensitive. Is God calling you to take some steps in prayer, to learn to pray, to be a part of his strategic purpose in prayer? If you believe he is, then I want you to grab one of these clipboards, just put your name down on it, so that when we plan the workshop, we're going to let you know when that's going to be, give you a little bit more information about it. But this morning, I'm going to do something. It's going to feel counterintuitive. I'm not going to ask anybody to respond right now in prayer. Because here's what I want to leave you with. This, this is not a message for this space in your life. Right up here, where we have a time for you to come forward in a corporate setting and for you to pray and encounter God. We want to do that. We need to do that. We will do that. This is a message for when you're not here. This is a message for what characterizes your life. This is a message for tomorrow morning if that's when prayer time is going to be for you or tomorrow night if that's when prayer time is going to be for you. For you to take this Hebrews 4.16, take the little picture if it helps, take whatever from this one verse and begin to, to start with the practice of quietude. Be quiet. Make room for the voice of God. Begin to interact with him. Begin to let the things that you've learned just in this one verse pile up into your prayer time. Begin to set a course. Turn aside. Begin to pursue an acquiring of something from God. Remember what we started with, and I hope you'll keep these notes. You you don't know God without doing this. You know a lot about God, but you don't know God. You don't know yourself. God, help those around you. They know you. You don't know how to really love people 
and you don't know how to deal with the struggles and difficulties and challenges of life without this kind of a personal prayer time with God. So that's what I want to send you with. I want you to look me in the face and say, I'm, I'm going to respond to this message this week in my prayer time. Everybody who's meaning that, shake your head at me. Everybody? Shaking my head? Yes? Okay. So this is not the response time. And remember this now, right? Because I know you'll get busy. And if you want to sign up for the prayer workshop, sign up on your way out. Let's stand up together. What song were you planning to do? I'll bow down. Huh? I'll bow down. No. That's a good one. Well, wait, what about the one you did earlier? I don't remember. Uh, I should just let the worship leader lead worship. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for this rich gift and this jealousy in your heart. I can't imagine, Lord, you are jealous over the indwelling spirit who is linked to us that we might be intimate with you in prayer. Lord, please alter the course of our lives. We need these moments. God, pick up our little prayer paper airplanes and fling them far, Lord. God, we know we may have to do that again months or years from now, however long. But God, for right now, would you just give us wings to soar? Would you give us encounters with you? Would you give us our own stories to tell and realities to walk away? We have been before your throne, and we are rich in mercy and grace that has been laid hold of in that moment. Lord, that's what we want. Bring it to us, Father, in Jesus' name. Around you such beauty your majesty could fill an endless sky holy are you lord transcendent exalted heavens cannot contain your presence holy are and as I behold Save me the sin.
with crimson red You washed me white as snow How I love you, Lord You love me The mocker With kindness You won my heart forever How I love you, Lord And as I behold this mercy We've got some copies of this book that I don't know what they normally sell for. It's a hardbound, so it's kind of an expensive book. We're going to sell it for half price because I just want to give it to anybody who wants to learn how to pray. But you can go online and get this book in a Kindle form for about 10 bucks, so it doesn't have to cost you an arm and a leg anyway. So if you're going to sign this list and you would like this book for half price in the bookstore, in the bookstore, pick up a copy. You will not regret reading this book. It will have a deep impact on your prayer life. Um, And that's it. Love you. Go Saints.